Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Well, a good afternoon to all the listeners to the Water Zone Show. I'm Rob Starr, along with Mr. Chris Avey, who is the most wonderful co-host I've ever had in my life. Well, he's sex. Him and Mike Barron, they're both great guys. And it was good to have Mike on the show a couple of weeks ago and uh, rekindle our, uh, our relationships there. But, uh, Chris, how are you doing out there in sunny California? I, we're doing awesome, Rob. I was going to make a comment also about having Mike on the show last week. Absolutely fantastic uh, to do that. It was cooler last week. Today, right here, it is just one degree below triple digits. It's 99.1 degrees outside, and it's single-digit date in June. So, you know, what's coming, right? Oh. Well, you know, I was going to give a warm welcome to the purveyor of Maven's Notebook, but I'm changing that. I'm going to give her a hot introduction because it's 109 degrees here. So, <laughs> oh, I think she got locked out again. Let me, let me bring her back in. There she is. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. No, I don't know if you heard that. I was going to give you a warm welcome, but I decided to change that and give you a very hot one because it's 109 degrees here right now. Oh, so man. welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah, well, it's hot up here in Chico, but not that hot. Well, I think we're in the mid-90s today. So, Well, sunny. It's beautiful. I see a breeze starting to accumulate here, which it always does around 4 o'clock. And uh, it's a beautiful day. Um, and, and got air conditioning, so it's not, not a bad thing, you know. You know, maybe if it was in the 50s when cars didn't really have a lot of air conditioning and stuff, you didn't want to drive around with your windows open and Oh, but it's a whole different world today. But speaking about a whole different world, California is, and, and, and the Southwest is really getting hit hard. As I mentioned, I think a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we're into a stage one uh, requirement by, uh, from Maricopa County. And uh, I know water is getting serious on that. We have a special guest who's going to talk about that. But let's get down to what's happening in California water. And you got the latest news. And I know earlier uh, on a pre-show stuff that we were doing, I know um, Chris Davey asked you about what's happening in the wine industry. Because I guess they're getting, they're, them and everybody else is getting hit with the water shortages. So what's what's happening? Well, I mean, any industry that uses water as an input needs to be as efficient with that water use as they can be. And, um I mean, the, the big news really came out on Tuesday uh, the, at the State Water Board. Uh, they do a number of things at that first, the first meeting of the month. And one of, one of the things that they do is they get an update on drought conditions, and they also review all of the reports from the urban water suppliers about how much water they produce for their customers. <clears throat> so... Um, so they got that news on on Tuesday, and as it turns out, not only are uh, uh, people not saving water, they have they have increased their water use. Some areas of the state, the North Coast and the northern parts, uh, did pretty good on water use, but as you went progressively further south, uh, the numbers seemed to get worse. Uh, in some areas in Los Angeles, uh, they were talking 26% more water use 
this April than a year ago in April. Uh, so a substantial uptick in water use, uh, which is just not going in the direction that we need things to go. Um, the hydrology continues to be dry. We did get some storms uh, over the weekend. Uh, actually did drop a fair amount of water um, on in the Sierras and uh, also on the valley. We got some rain here in Chico. We got a lot of rain um, you know, in the mountains. And that's good. It certainly tamps down fire danger, uh, and it does perhaps make a little bump in the reservoirs, but not much. This, is, this was not a big, you know, this was no miracle storm, but it did dampen down the fire danger, so that's good. But conditions do, uh, they do remain dry. So <clears throat> the State Water Board on Tuesday issued uh, some curtailment orders to pretty much everybody who has water rights uh, to draw to draw water from the rivers and streams in California, except for those with the most senior of water rights. <clears throat> so it's a probably, the, I, I think they were saying that, that they have never had curtailment orders go this deep. So... A lot of people now can no longer be drawing water from the rivers. So well, we're starting to settle into that hard, hard, uh, dry summertime. It's going to be tough with the water and also the, the electric grid, from what I hear as well. Yeah, well, hydropower is a key part of, of uh, you know, electricity. It's the the electrical the go to electrical source when everybody turns on their air conditioner and they need more power and fast. So it's hydropower. So we're gonna see, you know, what's gonna happen this summer with that. Um and all the bad news, you know, there still are people out there that are coming together and I guess yeah, a bright Spot in this is uh, on the Russian River. Uh, the folks there came together, and you know the way that these water rights work is those with the most senior water rights get all their water that they need before anyone with the junior water rights would get their water. So it, this sort of results in a situation where you know some people get totally cut off, but in the Russian River. They came together and they talked about things, and they have come up with a water-sharing agreement between the people there, a voluntary thing that was approved by the State Water Board also on Tuesday. So while things are going to be tough up there in the Russian River, they're going to be uh, sharing water and you know helping everybody uh, get through these tough, dry times. So you know it always helps when. People come together and collaborate on solutions. Huh. Well, that, that's true. Um, is there a lot of fires that are going on in California right now? I know we do have some in northern Arizona, and you know that takes aside from the chemicals already, it still takes water to put those things out. Are you having that same issues there? Um, so far in northern California, we have no major fires burning that that I'm aware of. And I have not heard about what's going on in Southern California. 
Uh, the fires, unless they're really huge, tend to be covered regionally. Uh, so how are the fires down there, Chris Davey? So right now, no fires. There are a couple of local ones last week, but with the heat that we've got today, tomorrow, and Saturday, um, I think the height, the, the alert is uh, is on heightened alert. So, and I think all the fire departments are are getting ready. It's almost, it's crazy to say, Chris, but it's almost inevitable, right? Well, yeah, we know it is. <laughs> you know, unfortunately. Uh, but hopefully, you know, we're we're ready to to deal with you know, what's inevitably going to come. Um, you know, hopefully it, it doesn't, but it would be hard to see where it wouldn't. Well, you're going to have to get the choppers. You're going to have to get the choppers to suck people's water out of their pools. So, hey, I read another article about Southern California. Well, in the state of California, 1.2 million pools, 72% of them in Southern California. And now with this drought, as severe as it is, if it continues another year or two, there may be mandates on your pool. Yeah, yeah. there might be. They were saying oh, they no. gave out. A, they were saying they gave out a bunch of uh, permits for that, and they now I, I know you guys remember this. There was a, a a reservoir where they put these gigantic plastic type balls inside or on top of the water. Oh yes, yes. Which helped prevent it. And, and in that article that Chris is, is talking about, uh, I guess there there's a company, I guess they make them in Mexico. Uh, one's called a rhombus, which is a three-dimensional one. And then they have one that's a hexagonal one that reduces evaporation. But it, it costs as much to ship it as it does to buy it. And, yeah. and, if, you, and if you stick them in your pool, how do you go swimming? <laughs> well, <laughs> in, in this particular article... He, he, you know, the problem is if you have a pool on your property and you don't want the pool anymore, it's very difficult to figure out what to do. Some people drain the pool, jackhammer the bottom of it, and fill it in with dirt and, you know, put put plants in there and stuff. But um, it's, it's really hard. And so this particular article, he was trying to figure out what to do with his pool. So... He decided to go with these uh, with these rhombos, as they're called, um, and he left it 80 to 90 percent covered. So there's enough so that you could slip in there and swim if somebody wanted to. And he says that, you know, at the end of it, he says that he hasn't had to put any more water into this pool. So, um, you know, and he's using fill, less I guess, water. I guess they fill up with water, too. To keep them from blowing away, because I think he, I think the article mentioned that if, if, if they didn't, uh, or one one instance that they started flying out of the pool. Oh yeah, yeah. Which I thought yeah. was funny, but that but that's a good thing to discuss here. You know, they do make covers for like jacuzzis, and they also make covers for pools, and that helps eliminate one one. It keeps the temperature warm, so they use. Uh, if they have a, 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 a heater in their in their in their pool system, you know they have, they have a heat pump, and, and that thing draws a lot of power to, to heat a big pool. And you're looking at what a 20 20,000 gallons was an average pool, 16 to 20,000 gallons. So you could get you could get a cover to put it in there because it'll, it'll it'll keep the warmth warmth of it, and and and, and it should also help reduce the evaporation to it. 
The, now, they've had pool right. covers for years and years and years and years. Do you see a promotion thing that the water agencies are going to start doing to maybe give a rebate back for these things? You know, I I don't know. I've heard about a lot of rebates. I haven't heard about rebates for pool covers, but maybe that's maybe that's one thing. Um, yeah, maybe that's an idea. I don't know. Um, the interesting thing about these rumbos or these balls is that uh, uh, LADWP was putting these things in their reservoirs. They did it. They started doing it back in. I'm going to say, like, maybe 2009, 2010, uh, they started in Silver Lake. The reason why they put these balls on top of the water was because uh, LADWP's water system was was seriously built around the turn of the century. And so they were storing treated drinking water in open reservoirs. And the Environmental Protection Agency said that you couldn't store treated drinking water in open reservoirs anymore because sunlight combines with some of the chemicals used in water treatment, and it can create carcinogenic uh, chemicals. So L.A., so they had to cover all their reservoirs. So L.A.D.W.P., I mean, they had a very old system built, like I said, around the early 1900s when uh, when the city was growing. They had a lot of uncovered reservoirs, and they couldn't possibly uh, get them all covered in time to comply with these new regulations. So they used these balls to cover the reservoirs until they they had new ones constructed. And I think I do believe that last year they finished the last of their covered reservoirs, and so there are no longer any uncovered reservoirs in LD in LADWP system storing treated drinking water. Uh, so you know, so they've done some improvements, but it took them a long time to comply. And not not in this drought, but in the last drought. There were a lot of people that were sitting there, you know, assuming this was done for drought purposes and laughing at the folly of it, perhaps. But uh, but that's not why they did it. They, I mean, they did it so they could comply with EPA's regulations until they got their covered reservoirs built, which I do believe are all built now. Well, I, I, thanks for telling telling us that because I, I never knew that part of the story. That 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 makes a lot of sense now. Uh, you know, I just thought they were just sticking them on top. At least the, the articles I read way back when it was just to prevent evaporation yeah. and all of that. But that that's that's really interesting. Yeah, I, it was an yeah, assu- it was a wide assumption made, but but not not true because I can remember way back in my very early days when I was a water blogger and nobody read blogs for for you know, heaven's sake, uh, and I tried to go out there and and. Uh, see their event where they were going to dump all these balls into Silver Lake Reservoir and they wouldn't let me in because I wasn't credentialed press. I get no respect, I tell you. It's the water one. <laughs> Chris, you were saying something you got interrupted. What, what were we going to say? No, I was just mentioning about uh, the uh, the additional information that Chris just provided. Didn't know that either. Thought it was just, you know, to prevent um, evaporations, and I've seen just like you, and just like uh, 
Ratios where the truck backs up and opens up the little you know slot in the door and all these balls roll out down the spillway. I mean, it was great. I thought it was a great idea in the beginning. Yeah, but uh, from what from what the article I saw today in Chris's blog, it, it's uh, they're pretty expensive. And uh, like I said, yeah. the shipping and I, and from what I believe what I read correctly that uh, they ship them and there's no water in them. And when they come there, you got to fill them with or put some water in so it keeps the weight on them so they don't go blowing off. Like imagine a big yeah. Windstorm come in 40 miles north and these <laughs> falls down the street. That'd be crazy. Well, Chris, we're, we're coming up to our commercial break a little earlier today. Uh, we have a uh, uh, interview with a, a U.S. Senator uh, candidate named Jim Lehman out here in Arizona. And uh, that's going to go a little longer than we thought. But uh, we do appreciate you coming on every single week. And, and please, for our listeners, go to www.mavensnotebook.com. Uh, become a subscriber. More importantly, become a a, a, a a person who wants to help support it. It's it's a great way to get your news. And and I, Chris and I get all our news from from Chris and Maven's Notebook. It's the best place that I find that I can get up to date on what's going on. And I don't know how you do it with all the information that you get every single day. Uh, uh, it's, it's just amazing to us. So. Chris, thank you very much. I, I'm, I'm glad you're doing good up in Chico. Stay cool. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Good night, everybody. All hey, right. Chris. We're going to be back in just a moment and have our, our special guest on. And uh, so stick around. It's going to be a pretty interesting conversation. And it, it might be a guy who's running for politics, but he's going to talk water. Pretty, pretty interesting uh, conversation. So stand by. We'll be right back. KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM, the station that leaves no listener behind. Are you presently part of the irrigation industry as a worker or business owner? Do you want to learn how you and your staff can boost your knowledge and productivity? Then you should check out Irrigator Technical Training School. Irrigator Tech is the leading source of quality instruction serving all facets of the irrigation industry. Their courses provide a basic, easy-to-understand approach that raises the skill level, competency, and professionalism of landscape and irrigation personnel through practical education and services. Irrigator Tech combines classroom and real-life hands-on training, leading to a well-recognized certification that both customers and employers demand. Irrigator Tech's specialized courses can help you quickly become a certified irrigation auditor or a certified installer, repair, maintenance, or backflow technician Courses also include certificates in smart water application or becoming a certified tree worker. Most importantly, all certifications are state recognized and Irrigator Tech offers annual renewal classes to help keep your certification up to date. So whether you work in California, Washington, Oregon, Nevada, or Arizona, there's an Irrigator Tech class near you. For more information on how to jumpstart your career, call Irrigator Tech toll-free 866-614-1755 or visit them on the web at irrigatortech.com. That's toll-free, 866-614-1755, and on the web at irrigatortech.com. K-C-A-A.
Hey, welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone Show. I'm Rob Starr, along with Chris Davey, our co-host, and uh, hope all of you are having a great afternoon. We have a special guest today, and I'm very excited about having on. Uh, he's a business gentleman, a very smart one, and ran a uh, ran a very good company, which we'll get into in a little bit. But his name is Jim Lehman, and he's uh, a candidate on the Republican side for U.S. Senate representing Arizona. So, Jim, welcome to the Water Zone. Robert, uh, Chris, thank you for the invitation, and uh, look very forward to discussing a topic that's in uh, dire need of uh, real attention and not kicking this uh, down the road any further. Absolutely. We appreciate it. So um, you were the uh, CEO of a company called DEPCON. I'm not going to ask you to give me your whole life history, but just for our listening audience, if you give us a one or two minute bio about you so people know who you are and uh, know you're a strong business guy, which I think we need in the state, but Go ahead. Tell us a little about yourself. Surely, uh, I'm a farm boy originally and a uh, civil engineer, uh, Army veteran, uh, six-year paratrooper, officer engineer, as well as went into the power industry for about 30 years, uh, worked my way up from civil engineer, uh, site engineer, I should say, up to president of the second. We grew the company to be the second largest in the country, only behind Bechtel in terms of scale and size of company in the power industry, designing, building large, supercritical uh, coal plants, uh, combined cycle, gas, uh, flue gas desulfurization, cleanup of coal plants, et cetera. Uh, Obama gets elected. Of course, uh, he instructed EPA to shut down the any further coal plants, uh, then took those engineers, project managers, um, over to the uh, renewable industry. We uh, joined a public company that had a module division, and we built the country's first engineer procurement construction division, along with operations and maintenance division in the country for large-scale, utility-scale solar power. Uh, Originally, uh, Robert, Chris, that was uh, a very expensive uh, type of electricity uh, output, uh, something on the order of, uh, you know, north of 12 cents kilowatt hour. Today, uh, that was 2008, by the way, uh, today that is uh, $0.03 cents a kilowatt hour. So dramatic improvement uh, over that time. I credit the team that we put together. Part of that, uh, being able to look at it as a utility perspective, not just a hobby. And we built, uh, which are still today some of the largest uh, in the country. I left that public company, worked a one-year non-compete, built my own company. Doing the same thing, engineer construction, operation maintenance, utility-scale solar all across the country. We're the second fastest growing private energy company in the country when we sold it last year in order to focus full-time here on uh, this U.S. Senate race because I just believe it's so critical to our country. And we've got infrastructure needs, but also big issues facing our country. I look forward to serving this great America again. I appreciate that. You know, one of the things that uh, got me interested in you, I happened to go to a, uh, an event one day, and, and uh, there were some other uh, competitors at the same thing, and I didn't get a chance to come see you because I got stuck at, a, at another booth. But uh, one of the things that I heard about that everybody was talking about is diverting water from Mississippi to Arizona. And um, I, I had a guest on our show, Chris and I had a guest on our show, who was the, uh, formed a company called the, the Water Train. And he bought like 132 tanker cars and was transporting water all over the country to move water around. And I, I've always said to Chris, you know, they have wa- they have gas pipelines and oil pipelines. Why can't we have 
water pipelines. I mean, there's snows in the East Coast, uh, put the stuff in the pipe, send it up, pump it out here uh, and to California uh, where water is needed. Otherwise, they just dump it back into the ocean or try to get rid of it somewhere else. And uh, I never I never understood why people don't want to look at that. I mean, I've, I've seen responses to to your ideas about it, which which I thought the people who made those comments really weren't thinking clearly. They were just thinking in their own <laughs> political biases on that. But tell us a little about that. The idea about diverting the water from uh, Mississippi to Arizona. Robert, as you said that, uh, you know, we we drill for oil all across the uh, this country, uh, oil and gas, we move it uh, to refineries, uh, particularly some of the world's cleanest and the world's most efficient in the Gulf Coast. Then we retransport it via pipeline all across our blessed country as refined, you know, petroleum products, be it diesel, gasoline, uh, jet fuel, etc. And the viscosity of that is a lot tougher to move than water. Now, there's not many things uh, easier, actually, to move than, than water. So we're going to look at, uh, from a standpoint of, you know, what we need in the in the West and what we have in the East. And when I travel back there, it just it just jumps out at me every time and how what bountiful resources that we have uh, in the East. You know, the Mississippi and many more of its uh, contributors, as well as just overall rivers uh, back East. And as only fate could have it, uh, God could arrange, a gentleman who used to work with me at uh, the coal and gas engineering construction company at a plant, power plant we were building uh, in the southeast, um, heard that I was running uh, for office, emailed me, we got together. He is actually one of the senior directors at the Bureau of Land Reclamation. He said, Jim, you know, this is a concept that's already been laid out. And... Uh, he got me uh, familiar uh, with the layout. We uh, would take off somewhere uh, north of St. Louis, move across the northern plains of America, something on the order of about 1,230 miles, 22 pumping stations as the geography is relatively hospitable, coming across uh, that quarter, I-80, into the receiving point uh, would be the headwaters of the Colorado. And you know, Robert, um, the the bathtub ring, as we you know affectionately call it, around Lake Mead, which of course is growing, but is ballpark about two million acre feet. A twenty foot diameter pipe carrying water, which does, as you know, occurs here in Arizona in the cap pipeline system or uh, um, canal system we have. When it comes to the mountains, uh, we do transition at times into uh, tunnels, which are twenty foot diameter. And that, again, is almost 2 million acre feet going through that 20-foot diameter pipe. So the amount of water that we put into the Gulf uh, each year, we're talking a fraction. You know, estimates uh, at low water, I've heard, and again, uh, more research needed to get these numbers fully understood. But from a low point of something like 100 million acre feet dumping into the Gulf to at, uh, at flood water stages and things like that, like 160 million. And we we just don't need that, you know, we, we just need a fraction of that type of, of volume out here in the West. You know, in Arizona, we're consuming about 6 million acre feet a year. 
you know, a third is the Colorado system. The third is the underground aquifers and a third of reuse, you know, of brown water. 70 odd percent is uh, that is used for agriculture. And we are moving and transitioning. We're, we're very good in Arizona, I might mention, uh, for water conservation. One of the best, if not the best, in the country per capita, even way less than we've used even decades ago per capita. And on the agricultural side, we're looking at shifting and already in, in progress. Some of this is new Israeli technology where we use a drip system you know, versus flooding the fields. That can help. Uh, while it gives us a little time to get underway uh, with this movement of water from uh, eastern water uh, out west. And thank you, Robert, again, as a civil engineer, as a guy who's you know, always looking over the horizon as a CEO in your company, trying to be the, the technological and uh, innovative leader in the industry, which we were in the solar industry or utility scale solar, bringing coal and gas guys and basically jump-starting and moving at a rapid pace to get that industry from a very uncompetitive rate to the least cost energy on the U.S. grid today at something on the order of three cents. If you put 40% storage with a big solar plant, you could probably be at four cents. And today, natural gas-fired plants are at six cents. Uh, coal is twelve, and nuclear is twenty-two. So, that kind of innovation and forward thinking, with the teams that we put together, at, uh, companies I was fortunate to run, really brought that industry in record time. Again, the first plant in the U.S. we built in two thousand and eight on a utility scale. And I'm thinking the same thing in water that we put the best minds to work. Things like Elon Musk, the boring company. You know, he's got great technology there. He's tunneling under Vegas and others at rapid pace. And I'm thinking, Robert, uh, we put Elon and his company up to the challenge that we could absolutely accelerate faster what could otherwise be, you know, underground pipes or above ground, you know, pipelines, things like that. You know, we could avoid a lot of issues uh, that might arise under some of the very burdensome, you know, we all want clean air and water, but we all know our permitting process is broken in this country on a national level. The overall impediments of EPA and BLM and Bureau of Land Management Forest Service that just don't find the right balance. So we could even uh, forego quite a bit of that. We need to fix it. Get that for the long term of our country, but then we uh, deploy the boring company. We get this uh, engineering idea moving faster because, Robert, Chris, I really see this as a challenge for a very large portion, you know, of our uh, our U.S. population, uh, which is uh, out here in the West. So, looking forward to tackling this in the U.S. Senate. I'm a, you know, I'm a get things done kind of guy yeah. in uh, <laughs> building. Large, That's large awesome. Price. I I hope Jim, you I hope Jim, you're just waiting to get off the phone and call Elon Musk right now, buddy. So that, <laughs> I mean, that was a great summary. Uh, a lot of data in there. Great. Thanks for providing some of those data points. I know a lot of our listening audience is going to appreciate hearing some of those terms, the costs, and 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 your explanation 
um, in in reference to moving water, because I know it's been it's it's been an issue for a while, and we've had it as a subject on the water zone several times. But let me let me ask you a question: If we're going to bring it closer to home, if you will, Arizona. So um, I know that several of our listeners are in uh, agriculture, um, and one of the questions that they would want me to ask is in doing some some research for your interview is uh, just kind of give us your view on the effect of uh, on the effect of Arizona on Arizona um, from the federal government's you know reduction of the uh, water supply from the Colorado to you um, not speci- not specifically on residential but on the on the ag side on the farming side do you have a viewpoint you want to share for that I do, and I think there's a travesty coming that you know, we have allowed this to, this issue to perpetuate, even though we've been conserving. Uh, and of course, we're going to hit farmers hard, not we meaning us on this call, of course, but the federal government, state government, which uh, has just not been doing its job. It had said that, hey, if we do this and this and this, then all will be well. Well, all is not well. You know, look no further than the what's uh, what's occurring at Lake Mead and Powell and we know how rapidly this situation has has developed and deteriorated 70% of the water as I said and of the 6 million acre feet in Arizona consumed is ballpark uh, is agricultural uh, and we have great uh, land here for growing crops and then and one of the least things we should be doing, one of the last things we should be doing in this country or in the state is taking agriculture offline. We need to be doing more agriculture, make this country even more self-sufficient than we are today, as well as develop our export markets. So it is, uh, there's a, a day of reckoning coming that should not be uh, born uh, on the backs of the farmers, but unfortunately, that's just given the the number of voters in farming versus the number of voters in cities, um, I'm afraid it's going to fall to their backs. And it, that's not the way and not what you know, we pay politicians and theoretically leaders of our infrastructure planning are getting paid to do. But as I said, look no farther than Lake Mead and Powell to know that they failed at their job. The discussions about you know the potential for Desalinization. Uh, I mean, I can just imagine having built very large scale solar projects uh, in the Middle East where they provide power uh, in large part for some of these desal plants. You know, you're talking years and years of getting those plants uh, up and running. And we're faced with this, uh, you know, basically immediately despite the hard work we've done now. One mitigation, as I mentioned earlier, is going to this drip system, and it's going to cost money. Farmers can't bear that burden alone. It's going to have to be shared by those that are receiving the results of that water, which, again, is you know is our cities, our consumers, like myself. So we're going to have to find a way to you know do that cost sharing in order to be able to extend our current supplies further, given the reductions that are coming. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. Uh, we're our company, the Toro Company, is involved with 
uh, irrigation. That's the division that Chris and I work with in the lighting division. And, you know, we manufacture drip, uh, drip, drip tape for Ag, for Ag World and such. We're a bit clear on that. But, you know, one of, one of the things I see that Arizona has the same issues that California does, like stop, uh, you know, stop the water fights with other states. Uh, you know, that, that seems to be a big deal and, and, and it keeps going on and on and on. And, and, and as you said, we need to expand the supply uh, of water to the state. And there's got to be a way to do that. If I, if I look at Arizona, you know, there's 11 hydroelectric dams in Arizona. And the, I think the two biggest ones are Hoover and Glen Canyon Dam. Um, because of the drought, I mean, things, water levels are lower, Lake Mead and so forth and so forth. But, you know, we need those things. And we do have 16 in, in Arizona, 16 coal-fired units at six different locations. But, you know, I also worry about the government not really caring about our grid. You know, they want everybody to switch to go to uh, get out of the, the oil for their gas for the cars and go to electric. And instead of buying a $30,000 car, they want you to buy a seventy dollars to $100,000 car. Yet, the, I, the, I don't know if the grid can even take everybody switching over to, to electric vehicles. But without the dams uh, to generate hydroelectric power, we're going to be in serious, serious, serious problems in that. How, how, do, how do you see that water, the water issues are affecting the dams and, and what can happen in hydroelectric power down the road? Robert, you're exactly uh, right. You're you're dead on point. This uh, issue of water goes beyond, you know, just the consumption of the product itself. It goes into the power industry. And taking uh, coal plants uh, offline uh, before we have fully implemented, you know, the systems that will take their place is absolute, you know, uh, dereliction of duty in terms of those that are charged with and that we pay uh, to do that. You know, California is, uh, is the worst defender. You know, they went too far, too fast uh, with renewable. We were building many of those plants. And the company that uh, served in and the executive officer in a public company and in my own company in the private industry, uh, it is, you know, base load is going to be needed in this country for many decades, uh, actually generations, you know, we see in the uh, renewable industry that at a 1% rate uh, that is being uh, built today to replace, uh, you know, replacement power, it's only at about 6% of solar, total renewable accounting hydro, about what, 20 odd percent. But in a 1% scenario, that is a low cost form that the rate payers should actually see lower rates. But do not, do not absolutely take off baseload plants at a rate greater than what you're replacing. And in fact, you know, with our population growing, with our hydro plants you know, potentially, and, you know, being starved of, of you know, backwater and, uh, and head on those plants, you got to have extra capacity before you can take anything offline. I just think it's extremely nearsighted uh, it's unfortunately i think some of it is intentional at the federal government level you know the uh, the marxism uh, in this country is is way beyond anything that many people understand you know things are being done deliberately that should not be done this um, we all you know want clean air and clean water but this movement at a pace that the grid, which is a very large infrastructure that we're blessed with over the last you know, 100 plus years, 
uh, is not made for rapid change. It needs to evolve. It's going that way before the Biden administration started you know, expediting things in the wrong direction. You know, a 1% replacement a year of solar power, uh, taking offline units that were more expensive and older, you know, about 3% a year are retired. Because you think about an average plant, what about, you know, 30, 35 years? Gonna do the math, that means about 3% per year retiring. That replacement power is renewable and gas. Hydro, of course, we've not, you know, built new hydro in decades, nor new nuclear. So it is a combination effect, as you said, with the, the water issues we have, um, not only for consumption, uh, but, but for power. And those are a, a terrible combination. But again, politicians and people that, you know, just don't have the, uh, the fortitude to stand up and say, this is the solutions we need to go in the right direction. It's what's gotten us into this problem. And that's why, Robert, Chris, I'm running as U.S. Senate is to get things done in a way that make common sense. And moving of water from the Mississippi, a fraction of it, um, is something that should have been done decades ago. It's been with the Bureau of Land Reclamation for decades. But I intend to be a strong uh, force to do that. I intend to beat Mark Kelly by wide enough margin that Tristan Sinema will sit up and take notice because she's up in two years and sit down with her day one. First meeting I want to have after election is with her to say, Tristan, civil engineer, been building billion-dollar power plants all my career, on time, on budget, by the way. We need to get moving on this. And there's a many solutions here that have already been laid out, and we've got to move, move yeah, fast. I, I don't see too much of the stick-and-move people in Washington doing what they need to do. When you, you turn on I, – I try not to listen to the news anymore um, – you know, it, it, it depresses me uh, because – there's all these problems and it doesn't seem to get any better. And they say, well, you know, we're just going to get rid of this and get rid of that. And you got to move to the new thing, but things aren't yet fully developed to, to cut off what we got now and move forward. I'm not against the future and new technology. I mean, our company is built on technology and, and we certainly like that, but, but you got to go gradually. I mean, you can't, nobody can just turn off your, your cars and go to something else and, and go to electric vehicles because there's no place to charge. There's not enough places to charge them. And, and the grid won't grid, grid grid couldn't hold all of those charges right now to do that. Well, there's, there's two things also that uh, I want to bring up is is the fact that when you take a look, like in California, when IDC built this Poseidon uh, desal plant in Carlsbad, California, it took them 17 years to go through the process from when they started the idea till it got approved and went through all the studies and everything. It's 17 years. That's a long time. And I think we need we need to cut those things down as much as possible. I know that central the Central Arizona project and Arizona Department of Water Resources they're thinking about joining Nevada in an effort to recycle 170,000 acre feet of California wastewater instead of dumping it in the ocean. Do you think projects like that should be what's the right word uh, pushed forward in, in a fast track? I guess is the better word for it. Robert, uh, you know, really in this country have, have allowed this to occur, right, by, you know, politicians, lawyers that have, where you need infrastructure guys and engineers and, and business people. 
because 17 years is just atrocious. You know, we used to get things done in this country and, you know, we, we've learned that certain precautions and laws had to be passed in order to make sure we preserve our beautiful, you know, clean air and clean water. So we know what those are. The laws are on the books. You can't get financing for a project that you don't comply with law. We do not need all of these bureaucrat elements of EPA and Bureau of Land Management and Forest Service that are absolute impediments, and I believe, again, deliberately so. They slow the progress of this great country so that China can ensure that it is moving at a rapid pace to overtake. This has become critical. I think the time for how the people of this great state are now very aware of water. You know, wells are running dry. People are seeing that, you know, Lake Mead and Powell were just a few years ago, you know, full pool and enjoying the summers there. And now they're seeing these sandbars that are, you know, many, many, you know, just terrible uh, elevations of lack of water. I think it's uh, time to act now and to say, like Biden, just use the Defense Procurement Act, you know, in, in terms of modifying the tariff structures and moving in a direction of manufacturing in the country relative to solar panels. That type of, you know, it's a shame we have to use that kind of act in order to do the basic things that a country should be doing and providing power, water, energy, you know, for its citizens. But so be it. We've got to determine that long-term solution about getting all of that, all those impediments corrected out of the way. But in the meantime, a similar version for water. I mean, this is a national emergency. People in politics don't want you to think that. But, you know, we as citizens, we understand what's going on. We hear the neighbors. We, we read the paper. We see the articles. So absolutely, Robert, we have to move with all due force and abandonment in order to get this problem resolved, which is eminently solvable. <laughs> it's not yeah. like we don't have the water. Yeah, it is. Rob, and I have, Rob and I have talked many times. Rob, how many times have we have we had a conversation about how it seems some of the leadership in the country kind of we got, you know we hide hide behind this incumbent difficulty that's uh, associated with these large projects instead of you know rolling up the sleeves and kind of getting it done? Why you know why does it have to come to the chicken little scenario or just short of a disaster before we take any action? I was going to say that's the uh, the political way, right? You know, to raise uh, capital every two years or every six years off of crises that, you know, they're going to solve and then it doesn't happen. Well, you know, I've signed the two-term limit pledge, the no net new American tax pledge. I'm not taking a single lobbyist dollar, tax dollar, going to donate my salary, not taking a pension because, guys, I'm going there to get stuff done. You know, if 12 years of my life to service in my country like I did six in the military. And every day is going to be about getting things done. My staff will not resemble what I see when I go to D.C. in a typical senatorial staff of young Republicans or young Democrats just graduated from the college in the state of the senator. And I'm taking experts um, securing the southern border. Brandon Judd, will, head of the National Border Patrol Council, will name the guy on my staff that will get that solved with remaining Mexico, et cetera. Water. We'll find that gentleman, and I've been very fortunate to meet several here in the state that have 
seen this issue and been working at SRP and other companies and screaming from the rafters that this is coming. And of course, now it's at our doorstep. So people will understand it. Someone on Elon's staff that this is a national priority, Elon, just like you did SpaceX and, you know, you blew past NASA literally in a few years compared to their decades. Same thing. We've got to put the best minds at work. And I intend to have those people on my staff. I'm taking that to the U.S. Senate to get things done like a business guy should and like our country deserves. No, you're you're absolutely right. And, you know, just I won't I won't go into detail because we're going to be coming up to the end of the segment. But, you know, forest management and stuff like that. Look at all the fires that are happening here and in California. Uh, you know, uh, the, Fed, the state needs to take over that. They need to they need to enforce the rules get that done. But just just to follow up here with you and, and let the audience know, you got some pretty major endorsements. You got the National Border uh, uh, Patrol Council Union, Arizona Police Association, National Association of Police Organization, Arizona uh, Conference of Police and, and Sheriffs, CPAC, Rick Grinnell, Matt Whitaker, who was the uh, acting uh, uh, DOJ guy, uh, Tom Holman, who was the uh, head of the uh, uh, Border Patrol stuff, uh, Matt and Mercedes uh, Schlaff from CPAC. I mean, you, you got a host of, of great people, uh, and they're all stick and move people. And uh, it's it's good to hear somebody who wants to really fight. And it's not just the publicity and the public saying you, you you're not you're not a you know you're not a, a guy who was in politics for years and years and play that game. I mean, you're a business guy, and you get things done. You know, like you said, you build your projects on time and and, and on, on budget. That's important. We need we need people like that to do that. So, how can people get a hold of you and, and find more about you and uh, you know join some of your events that you have? Robert uh, Jim Layman, L A M O N. Dot com website. Uh, we have policies on there. This uh, discussion we've had about water, there's some discussion there. Border, you name it, uh, there's about 20 policies. We put out some detail. Uh, it also has all our events. We have a town hall every two weeks. Uh, we're drawing 500 these days uh, to that, and many of those that you named as endorsers are there uh, at individual town halls. We discuss these issues and about getting things done. And I'll briefly touch on you said on forest management, it is, you know, it, it's not something you would ever do in business to have a local asset and resource like forest and be managed from thousands of miles away in Washington, D.C. Right. That needs to be managed in Arizona. We need to keep our forest managed so we do not have these, these burns that we're having. It is a water issue, a watershed issue there as well. We can do bountifully better. and lower the cost of lumber for our homes and our home builders and, and homeowners here in Arizona. These beautiful forests because we manage them well, we're going to have even better forest than we have today and better watershed. We must get it out of Washington and get it local. Absolutely. Well, Jim, we're running up against our NBC News Hour that we have to give up our show to because that's the rules of NBC. But we want to thank Chris on behalf of Chris and I. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for taking the time and coming on and talk about water. Anytime you want to come back on, just let us know. You're more than welcome to come back and uh, promote anything that you got going. Uh, um, I feel real comfortable about you running for U.S. Senate and uh, good luck. Best of luck to you on that. Chris, any parting things? No, thanks. Uh, Good luck, Jim. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. Robert, Chris, and your listeners. Thank you very much. Look forward to getting American things done again in this country. Great. Thank you. 
Well, that was a great, great conversation with uh, Jim Lehman. And he's one of the few guys that I've interviewed, at least running for government office, who, you know, instead of giving you the, the, the quick 50,000-foot answers, he knows what he's talking about. He does, buddy. And, you, you know, just the questions that we asked him and we prepared uh, for the interview, I mean, he got right down the weeds right away, right? I love the fact that uh, if you go to his website and you look at a couple of different blogs he's got on there, one one is called In Layman's Terms, right? L-A-Y-M-O-N from his, from his last name. Great right. information in that. The other one is A Line in the Sand. Um, yep. You know, just just great to hear about. And it's not just it's not just water issues either, right? The Salt River Project and and the and his views and position on on water and, and ag, but it's also forests and wetlands and desert preservation and energy border policy. I mean, there's just a ton of stuff this guy has got on his uh, agenda. Yeah, it's going to be pretty interesting to see how he comes. The, uh, the there's two guys that's but behind him. Uh, as far as in, in the polls, a guy named uh, Blake Masters, and he's he's uh, supported by Trump, endorsed by Trump. And then you yep. have uh, Brnovich, who's our attorney general uh, here in Arizona. So it will be interesting. He is leading the pack. Um, you know, when you look at Mike Kelly's uh, bank, uh, what he's got banked, a couple, you know, multi-million dollars. I mean, like, I think like 20, 30 yeah, million. yeah. In the thing, but but you know what? These days, it really doesn't matter. I mean, if people aren't for you or believing what you're going to do, uh, all the money in the world yeah, is yeah. going just like happened in Virginia with Yunkin. You know, <laughs> uh, he squeezed out yeah. the incumbent. So um, great, great guy, great everything. So Chris, I know you're going to be uh, just for our listeners. Chris is going on a little journey uh, for a week or two and be back. Yeah. He's going overseas, and uh, we'll have some guests uh, guest hosts uh, in with me. And, um, Chris, you travel safe and uh, enjoy your family that you're going to be with. And uh, we'll get back to you in, uh, after July 4th, I believe. That is correct, man. Thank you. I appreciate that, Rob. And uh, I'll be glad when I am back and back on the radio. All right. And so for our audience, we'll be talking to you next week. And don't forget the most important thing Chris and I always tell you, and it's very important, help keep our planet blue. Because if you like green... Blue. You, yeah, you can't have green unless you have blue. So thanks, everybody. Good night, and we'll talk to you next week. Have, good. good night, everybody.